0: Indeed it does and with me is Dr. Rajabans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society Good morning Dr. Rajbans.
1: Good morning
0: Now uh, the latest uh, from uh, the BBC Health is that the HPV vaccine for boys will prevent thousands of cancers starting uh, with the summer um, that they're trying to roll out with the health department will prevent 29,000 cancers in UK men in the next 40 years and uh, I guess because a program to vaccinate teenage girls um, and reduce cervical cancers has proven very successful there has been a reduction in HPV infections that um, they now want to pass on the same benefits to boys as well in this age group so I guess you know is the HPV vaccine safe that's the question a lot of parents are wondering
1: yeah it suppose when uh, any st- the vaccine once introduced I'm sure they've done a lot of uh, long term st- research studies to it, but it's still quite new so uh, I think we just have to wait and see so far they've been using it uh, quite uh, with the, the girls and it's uh, shown no issues so I think that's one thing that uh, they can take heart that you know the vaccine seems to be safe so far but the other thing is that we also must educate the, both these young boys and girls about you know good health habits rather than just depending on vaccines because sometimes mm. when people well... Uh, depend on vaccine you're just looking at one virus because uh, you know you can transmit (laughs) a lot of other diseases if you're not careful Mm. so I think it's also a lot of education is required good health habits
0: yes and safe conduct yes and um, I guess this will affect a generation of boys that have been HPV vaccinated
1: as long as they don't get the idea that you know since they got vaccine now they can do what they want and I think that's, that's very important that education is there we're just looking at just one virus you know but they many others out there that can also cause problems.
0: Okay, when we come back, we'll take a look at snoring and whether or not this is um, a a health epidemic. That's up next here on Light. With me is Dr. Rajbans this morning on health-wise and snoring. Yes, it can be unpleasant, but uh, generally harmless, or is it? Because uh, I hear that it can lead on to various other things, and now snoring, like obesity, has become an epidemic.
1: Yes, I think, and that's one of the causes of increased snoring. You know, in obese, uh, obstructive sleep apnea is becoming a real issue, and uh, it's not as benign as we thought. Uh, people with uh, you know this uh, sleep apnea, they actually have episodes of they they you know stop breathing for a while, and this I think uh, when you get up in the morning, you can have headaches, you can have you know very sleepy in the daytime. Uh, people have been known to drive cars and fall asleep, so that can be dangerous. Also, can lead on to things like hypertension and you know heart. Uh, issues. So it's not as benign as we thought. So I think if someone is snoring, uh, they have to, and especially if they the spouse says that they actually have apneic spells that means they actually snore, st- snore snor and then they stop breathing for mm-hmm. a while that's actually quite serious go in uh, get it checked up see an ENT specialist make sure it's not something that's causing obstruction you know you can have uh, things like uh, you know your tonsils or uh, the other things like polyps can cause obstruction this mm-hmm. can be remedied um, if not you can they actually will do sleep studies and actually put you on uh, what they call uh, pipep machines to help you at night so that you actually don't get the apneic spells because the machine will right. take over so that actually helps a lot it helps you to lose weight so see some of the things you look at uh, of course avoiding alcohol smoking you know the way you sleep all these can also help losing weight definitely will help
0: Okay, well, it seems like um, one of those things that is cyclical. You know, you're, you're overweight, you snore, you snore, and you're overweight. So I guess uh, tackling your weight issue could be it, uh, a start, yeah? Yeah,
1: and of course, losing weight will help in so many other things that you know also are risk factors when you're overweight.
0: All right. Well, when we come back, the Health Ministry are recruiting Walbachia-infected mosquitoes in their fight against dengue. We'll find out how this works next here on Light. Is a light breakfast with Shaz on Healthwise with Dr. Rajbans. A number of dengue cases could see a downward trend after the health ministry kicked off a program to release 80s mosquitoes injected with the Walbachia bacteria in an effort to stamp out the disease. In fact, they carried out a pilot project about two years ago in eight areas in Slangor that showed a reduction of between 50 and 80 percent of dengue cases in each location, which is pretty amazing, really. Dr. Rajbans, how does this work?
1: So basically, this bacteria, I think, will stop the virus from replicating the female can't lay the eggs and that hopefully the you know the number of Aedes mosquitoes will decrease and that will bring down the effect of dengue now the only thing is anything you know these viruses are quite smart virus mm. do tend to form resistance so whether they'll soon overcome this uh, bacteria we don't know it to wait and see but it's definitely a good attempt to try to reduce because dengue is a problem every year we get you know people dying from dengue it can get very serious disease you know okay. so I think any way to help reduce dengue is a way forward
0: right okay so for those who are uh, uh, unsure how can you tell if you may be uh, infected by dengue what are some signs I mean,
1: uh, basically anyone with high fever, headache, you know, you can have diarrhea, vomiting, back pain, joint pains that is, you know, within the first two days or three days that are, you know, and the fever normally is very high. Always go and get yourself tested, you know, because dengue shock, dengue hemorrhage can occur quite early sometimes, the second, third, fourth day itself. So I always advise patients that if you got a high fever, headache, with no other symptoms, you know, no flu-like symptoms, nothing, just high fever, headache. Sometimes, you know, you have a mild cough, reason is. Some of my patients had a mild cough, but just go and get tested. And, uh, you know, very fast today, with the antigen test within the first 24 hours, you know whether you have dengue. And if you have, then you have to go and see a doctor in the hospital and see what you need to do.
0: All right. When we come back, another epidemic is childhood obesity. It's a growing health crisis in Malaysia. We'll tackle that next here on Light. And with me on HealthWise today, Dr. Rajbans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society. According to the World Health Organization, the prevalence of childhood obesity has increased at an alarming rate globally. In 2016, the number of overweight children under the age of five was estimated to be over 41 million. This is indeed alarming, and we know that this is a growing health crisis in Malaysia. Just by looking at the size of children, you know, around us sometimes, um, we can... observe it ourselves so uh, when we have young children who are overweight how can we help them lose the weight
1: i think uh, it's actually surprising that you know children actually are getting obese because children just follow you know they at that age they normally just do what the parents or teachers tell them to do and uh, they mimic a lot so if a child is obese then something is not right you know that means uh, we must actually look at the the people who are guiding them Mm. you know are the parents themselves obese you know so is there some genetic issue there Uh, but it's again we know it's just your lifestyle you know eating the wrong sort of uh, foods too much or refined carbohydrates saturated fats too much of Junk food—I call it too much of food laced with toxins. So all these are things that today it become epi- uh, you know like an epidemic. Everybody is eating this. You know everything is just full of sugar, and, <laughs> and uh, I think that's one thing that's problem. secondary I think our kids have become more sedentary. You know those days. Every child was out there running, playing today with all these new gadgets. More people are sitting at home, not moving. So that has decreased a lot. Movements have decreased. The food in this uh, food has completely changed. So I think we have to educate the people, look after them, the parents, the teachers. You know, even if you go to schools, I don't. There's a lot of healthy varieties, you know. the, right, the a complete, yeah. So I think all this is something that is, is going to be, have to look at it. I think the Ministry of Health and Education themselves should look at all this seriously.
0: Okay, well, what diets uh, can be applied or are healthy for obese growing children? You already have a problem in your home and then you feel bad to put your child on a special diet, but you've got to do it. So what would you recommend?
1: Basically, it's, it's you know, re-educating the, the child that, you know, what are healthy foods, you know, cutting down things that are full of sugars, refined carbs, you know, asking them to stop eating, you know, but it's all that extra chocolates and the cookies and the quays and everything Mm -hmm. extra that you have to Tell the this is only for once a week. Yeah. This is a treat, you not know, something you should take every day. Right. You know, going out and eating a lot of junk food also should be maybe a once a week treat. Whereas every day you just eat the normal healthy food, a variety of vegetables and, you know, your meat and, uh, you know, some good fats.
0: Okay, well, always, uh, of course, refer back to their pediatrician as well, yeah. Well, coming up, um, Tun Mahathir just celebrated his 94th birthday. And as a geriatrician yourself, Doc, we're going to find out what actually happens to one's body after so many decades. That's up next here on Light. And with me this morning on HealthWise, Dr. Rajabans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society. He's also a geriatrician, which means you take care of seniors, people yeah. in their golden years and whatnot. Now, um, our Prime Minister is the oldest standing Prime Minister in the world. He is fit for a 94 year old man. I mean, but you must wonder like, well, I know uh, as a layperson, I do wonder what happens to your body after so many decades.
1: Yeah, I think um, one thing we must realize is that only age is not a disease you know Mm -hmm. because a lot of people think that you know you're old and you're going to get disease but it's not that the old age causes disease I think it's what we do to ourselves that we cause disease we have studied the blue zones you know the six areas in the world where people actually are a lot of them are like uh, our Prime Minister you know all into their 90s and 100s who are still very active out there doing things moving around you know mm. some of them are still working yeah, you know, mentally we sharp mentally as well. sharp so I think if you look at their lifestyle and we have studied them for many many years you know the Okinawans the Mediterranean the Adventists you know the people in Ikaria so and this are we're talking of whole populations we're not just talking of a few hundred people we're talking of thousands or millions of people mm-hmm. you know and when you study their lifestyle you see that exactly that probably that's exactly what our Prime Minister does you know, a good purpose. Very, he's out there doing things. You know, he's socially mm-hmm. very close to his uh, wife, very close to his kids, and uh, he eats very little or eats the right thing. He moves a lot, excessive, uh, keep his mind sharp. I'm sure he avoids a lot of toxins. Right. I'm sure he doesn't, you know, no toxin like smoking or alcohol, any of those are there. You know, and I'm sure the food he eats also is not full of toxins. And so, it's simple things, and I have his sleep. So, all those things that are uh, simple easy to do you know no rocket science but a lot of us actually we don't do that yes. Yeah, it's you know, a lot of uh, you know a lot of people I find that after retirement they actually switch off they already start telling themselves I'm old I'm old mm. I'm old and the wrong message goes to the body they, they don't know what to do I call them the rocking chair grandfather you know talk of the past never the future right. so look at the blue zones see what they do look at what our own prime minister does and you know simple things but right. I'm not, not easy to do
0: okay well <laughs> besides being engaged and mentally active what can we take to boost our mental capacity, our brain power.
1: I suppose you're eating the right tired sort of uh, you know we know the good fats actually help the brain uh, so that's one so but it's nothing like keeping having a sort of a purpose goals keeping your mind very active physical activity has definitely shown to to decrease the risk of Alzheimer's and mental deterioration so these some of the things you have to do of course there are now certain supplements out there that they say might help boost your brain but I think supplements are just that they just help supplement your lifestyle so lifestyle is still the key focus on that and you know Hopefully we all will be like our prime minister.